Hello everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Novels Project 0.4. We'll continue our reading of The Colors of Magic, edited by Jess LeBeau. First, I want to give a quick shout out to Coach at Car Bazaar YouTube for the idea and inspiration. Check out the comments for links to his first three audiobooks. Um, but first, another disclosure. I had a speech impediment early in life, which I tried my best to overcome. I also apologize if you find my voice nasally or otherwise dislike it. I'm trying my best to provide you with the best content I am able to provide. However, with this being said, I'd love to hear constructive feedback, which correct pronunciation issues or other realistic feedback that can improve the project. A legal note. Sorry. Um, this is an unofficial audiobook with original content belonging to Wizards of the Coast. This content is covered under the 2017 Wizards of the Coast Fan Content Policy. Listener discussion is advised. Green is the balance between extremes. Those who favor green are solid people with easy manners. They aren't impulsive as those who favor red or withdrawn like those who favor blue. Those associated with green are socially well-adjusted and organic. They are conventional yet constantly on the go and have a taste for the good things in life. Green has on occasion been associated with jealousy or inexperience, but those who have a broader understanding know that green is a natural, fresh, wise, comforting, and those characterize it show a sensitivity to social customs and etiquette. Green also provides abundance and resources. It is passive and combative at the same time, and calls to those who want to be grounded in their natural surroundings. Our story today is A Song Out of Darkness by Lauren L. Coleman. Already muted by cloud cover, little direct light penetrated the bayou's thick canopy. It fell in thin, lackluster beams that threw shadow and gleamed dully off black and brackish waters. Tendrils of land reached into the darkness, thin bridges that connected small hillocks and some smaller spans of wet ground. A mournful cry of a March ibis caught in its caster's web wallowed through the bayou. Temkin paused, feeling eyes upon him, and rested his leather satchel on the marching ground next to his feet. His sharp eyes penetrated the bayou's gloom, nostrils testing the coal and dank air, searching. No movement, but for a chill draft stirring around the tall grasses and the gray moss, that cascaded from the overhead limbs into the stagnant pool of water. No tree shapings or signs of organized care for the land. No scent of cook fires or the flower-scented paths calmly marked out by warriors and scouts. No sign of other elves. Still, the land called to him. Beneath its own pain and suffering, it whispered a promise that he walked the right path. Here, close by, he would find others, survivors, those he had come to gather. The corrupt pallor draping this land cloaked them from view. Temkin reached out as the dream had instructed, feeling for the power inherent in the land, and sieged that which nurtured life, drawing it, channeling it, to reveal what the darkness hid from his normal senses. Though not the uplifting experience of nature's pure strength, the bayou provided enough mana for his purposes. Temkin was surprised by how close she sat, resting against the wide bowl of the very cypress that stretched its limb over him. The shadows retreated. 
leached away by his summoning of the Bayou's limited life force, just enough to reveal her outline. For a brief moment, he imagined a darker shadow hovering behind her, the sinister essence of darkness itself, trying to summon the strength to oppose him. Then it, too, was lost, fled back into the bayou. The other elf shifted only slightly in realization that her cover had been stripped. She moved, not to flee or to embrace her clan folk, but with the simple resignation of a minor concern. Yes, I am here, she said, voice wary, slurring the unusual melodic speech of the elves. What words do you have for me? A touch of despair over the core of greeting trailed through Temkin's heart, but he quickly banished it because of the importance of his quest. He stepped forward, deeper into the tree's embrace, and knelt into the marshy soil in front of her. Ignoring the clammy wetness that soaked at his knee, shocked by what he saw, he fought to keep concerned from ruling his face or voice. He knew her vaguely. That was to say, he remembered her from before. A juvenile, scout apprentice, and she barely an adult, but already a century. A century had brought them both into the long twilight of middle age, enjoyed by most of the elven races. But while Temkin had finally found a purchase in the after, bringing together the survivors, it was clear that she had allowed a sense of despair to invade even her personal life. No need for magic. It was written that she had allowed a sense of despair. Oh, sorry. It was written in her appearance. Fatigue echoed hollows between her opaline eyes, and the sunken cheeks of malnourishment left her with a haunted expression. Her dark hair was wild and tangled with bits of moss and mud, the detritus of bayou living. The ceremonious words with which she had opened scores of previous reunions fled him. She obviously saw no cause for celebration in his arrival, and so Temkin opted for a simple offering of warmth and hope until his mission could be explained better. I am come to bring you home, Gwena. Her gaze burned into Temkin's, eyes reflecting the pain still wrapped up in her memories. Argoth is destroyed, she said immediately, pulling it into few words survivors could even stand to think. We have no home. Skirting the edge of the wetter portion of the bayou, Gwena led Temkin from the sentry post where she had awaited his coming to the village she and the others had settled. The shadow flitted at the edge of her visions and consciousness, always a presence lurking in the dark recesses of her mind. Gwena's chosen path, most random, sorry, Gwena chose paths most, at, most times at random, rarely by memory. Trails could change with the latest rainfalls, wiped away and made treacherous to the point of mortal danger, and the ever-changing territories of the local predators always made it prudent to vary one's appearance to the trails. At one point, the pair found their way blocked by a large web, easily twice the height of the elves. The remains of a few unfortunate creatures responded to the preserving wraps for later feeding. A spicy scent, lower for less intelligent creatures, rose in the air above them. We've lost two young ones to the webs over the years, she said in a mild tone, as they backed away from the site. Be careful, those strands are hard to cut, even with the sharpest blade. Temkin was visibly startled. That's a circle of lice, he said. Still, I grieve for our losses. Our loss. 
Dwight did not miss the way Temkin automatically included himself. She remembered the courtesies and a social love of Argoth, but effect one affects all. But instead of feeling apprehensive, oh, sorry, instead of feeling appreciative for his consideration, she knew pain for the memory. We are no longer protected, she said quietly. Stronger, she added. We never were. Certainly they thought they were so, but that was the lie to it all. The great lie that Gwen had exposed in such a short span of years had she still reeled from the shock of its memory. Argoth, island paradise, tended by the elves and ruled by Titania, avatar of Gaia. The law governed them, and Titania protected them. So thoroughly had Gwenna believed in that protection that she helped the human cast down with his flying machine onto Argoth's beach, certain that even if he could escape the storms, Argoth would remain secure. Her mercy cost the Argothians everything, the human return, bringing others with their saws, picks, and shovels, their smelters and forges, their war, their incredibly vicious war as two powerful brothers fought their dominance in that process ruling that which the victor would have taken possession of anyhow. The island's precious resources were ripped from Gaia's womb as the air turned fell with smoke. The inhabitants of Argoth were caught between two mighty armies, one of which they might have held back, but not both. Gwenna remembered Titania herself weakening, dying, then the flame-haired woman offered them the chance to strike back where the army of Urzor was vulnerable. The target was virtually unprotected mainland. Gwenna still wasn't sure how many warrior enclaves finally accepted the offer. Dozens, certainly. Her own band had been in the process of attacking an inland city when the southeast horizon suddenly glowed with an unnatural sunset. The Argothian elves heard Titania's final scream, Gaia's own cry, as her homeland was shattered by whatever final cataclysm the Brothers' War had released. The earthquakes and tidal waves, and the dark years which followed, were pitiful epilogues to that one terrible moment. Guessing her thoughts, Temkin placed a hand upon her arm and squeezed gently. We can never have what was before, he offered, but we can build again. The survivors are building again. The wharf of his hand, even through her damp tunic, offered Gwenna to feel Temkin's belief, if but for a second. In that moment, she wanted to believe him, to believe in him. Then the shadow loomed at the side of the path, chilling her. What could Temkin offer that Titania had been unable to give? Nothing. More false promises. That was all he brought. Titania is dead, she said, feeling the void inside and wanting to, needing to share it. She swallowed against a coppery taste, her throat raw and constricted. Gaia has abandoned us. But she hasn't, Temkin insisted, taking Gwen by the elbow. She pulled her to a halt there on the path. Wounded these many decades, she still found a way to speak to us. She brought us the gift and knowledge by which we have found ways to find each other and project ourselves in the after. He stepped off the path into a patch of sparse, wet grass that bordered a small puddle of muddy, insect-choked water. Laying a hand on the ground, right where a beam of grey light had worked its way past the dense growth above, he half-closed his eyes in concentration. A sense of foreboding washed over Gwenna, warning her. The bayou dimmed, drawing out the darker shadows and teasing them into a shroud that discovered the land. Her head swam, and something deep within her mind spoke of danger. 
don't, she said, reaching out to take temp shake Tempin by the shoulder. Grenna's warning went no further. Beyond her finger, she suddenly saw a green glow radiating from within Tempkin, bleeding down his arm and into the ruined land, in the recesses of her mind, which usually held the sin of her mercy on Argoth and the consequences it reaped. She instead saw visions of dense forests and snowy taiga. Temkin raised his hand and believed it a new shoot of vibrant green had broken earth. It grew, blossomed, and flowered in mere seconds. In orchids with petals of jade and lavender pistols. Already, though, the dark force that had been stalking them since Temkin entered the shadows rallied to the challenge. The darkness danced at the edge of Gwenna's vision, and she saw the flower begin to wither and die, as Titania had done. Gwenna felt the elven magic tense beneath her touch, bending in close to the stricken flower. He now appeared to share some kind of special relationship with his creation, drawing from it and strengthening his own aura, which flowed back into the jade orchid and resurrected it. Gwenna's mind clouded. She felt a need to destroy this thing of beauty, this threat to the shadow that marred the bayou's perfection. She caught herself in mid-reach, only her physical contact with Tempkin, and therefore an association with the magic he commanded, intervened and left her hanging in the balance. She knew that to resist was futile and would be punishment. One did not defy the shadow, especially her. But Gwenna was also a child of Gaia, and to intentionally mar such beauty as the orchid was not easily accomplished. She pulled back, daring to believe Temkin for even the briefest moment. The punishment came swiftly. Darkness broke over and around them, both in a wash of despair. Gwenna fell away to the muddy trail, physically sick. She watched as Tempkin glanced up in confusion, his concentration obviously broken, tears rolling down his cheek as the orchid first lost its coloring, then rotted on its stem. He tried to speak, but were no words issued from his mouth. Gwenna shook her head. No building again, she said, voice laden with tears. Her eyes no longer cried. We can, none of us, leave. It will not let us. Then the shadow passed again. Tempkin's eyes rolled back, and he pitched forward, collapsing into the muck. Calling the collection of ransopple hops and utility buildings a village was optimistic to Tempkin's way of thinking. The clearing looked up to a gray, moisture-laying sky, but the poorly thatched roofs could not possibly keep out anything stronger than a morning dew. Walls were full of holes. No one thought of or bothered to make a mud or straw mortar to fill the irregularities between branches. Certainly mud would not be hard to come by here. Doors were commonly a piece of hide stretched over a light frame and leaned into place over one of the larger openings. The huts sketched out a crude circle, which might have been considered a rough tribute to nature's cycle, except for the large opening that framed a path leading deeper into the bayou. At least the ground here appeared drier, though Temkin wondered if that might be relative to his own muddied and sodden state. It was not quite the way he had intended to make his entrance. He and Gwenna leaned against each other for mutual support as they hobbled into the encampment. His head throbbed, and he could only imagine his appearance. Disheveled and feeling the worst for whatever had come over him, even so, he had expected something more than the indifferent look the other elves gave him. Nothing. No words of welcome, no questions after kinfolk who might have been part of Temkin's enclave. He read their harsh lifestyle in the gaunt, drawn faces 
as much as the poverty of their living. Resigned and defeated shadowed their features, even the young ones who were obviously born in the after. Not for the first time since entering this forsaken land, he wondered why they remained here. The plains to the north were dying as the climate turned worse every year, but certainly there were more hospitable stretches of forest land nearby, or the coastal regions to the nearby south. If the oceans reminded them too much of what they had lost, at least it could provide nourishment until a suitable refuge could be located. Why did they stay here? Another question answered him, swimming up from the depths of his mind, teased up by the shadow dancing at the edge of his consciousness. Why not? This was an answer, though. He refused to accept it, and the shadow receded, treated. What had happened to him back along the trail? Gwenna slowed to a halt, testing her own balance, and stepped away from Kemkin to let him stand on his own. This is Temkin, Gwenna introduced him to the benefit of those who do not remember him as a youth. He will be staying. There were nods all around. Only as long as necessary, he amended Gwenna's remark. More nods, though to Kempton they seemed to be agreeing with Gwenna. A day, maybe two, just a rest, he told himself, though earlier he had not planned on remaining one night in the bayou. There are other survivors. They're heading west, to warmer forests, we hope. But we'll be together, he finished quickly. We're already together, Gwenna said though she did not cert sound certain of herself. Quick nods bolstered her confidence. She stepped over to a log pot simmering over an open fire, a community cooking area. The charred ground showed the remnants of other fires. Someone handed her an implement, and she dipped out a ladle broth, shamp shocking Temkin by not offering to him first as a guest. Instead, she drank deeply. He covered his surprise by wiping mud from the long braids hanging before his left ear, then tucked them back over his shoulder. Gwenna drank again, then handed Temkin a ladle. As her hands touched, she blinked in sudden confusion. Avis suddenly at odds with her own violation of custom, but she shrugged it off. Temkin reminded himself of how long these survivors had been cut off from others, of the conditions under which they currently lived. He nodded thanks to Gwenna, to the person tending the fire, and then pulled a deep ladle from the pot. He noticed the grisly meat swimming in the brown broth, and decided if he questioned its source, he might not get a comforting answer. He slopped a bit over the ladle's rim, splashing it to the ground in an offering to Gaia, and slipped the rest cautiously. Over the ladle's rim, he saw reflections to his libation, the briefest touch of surprise, and even anger for his waste of good broth. To a forest people, he thought this offering to the nature goddess would still be known, if not commonplace. He'll need a home, the fire tender said, glanced about the village. There might be room to squeeze him in over there. He nodded towards two huts with just enough spacing away from the opening towards the buyer's heart. Temkin lowered the ladle from his lips. I won't need a home, he said, confused. He sipped again at the weak, fatty broth. Darkness wrapped around the area, but Gaia's song, dim but recognizable, pierced the gloom and brought back to the mind's memories of cleaner lands. He whispered of a breeze among willows, a creak of tree limbs rubbing over a clear, gurgling brook. Handling back the ladle to tender, Kempkin glanced at Gwenna, drew in a steady breath of dark air. It will be I'll be looking for more survivors soon, on my way westward. I hope you'll come with us. 
They met his invitation with frightened looks of concern and sidelong glances. What had happened here, back along the trail? It seemed an important question. Unfortunately, Temkin had no good answer. Marsh gas or simple fatigue? He remembered feeling ill. He remembered the shadow collapsing after the failure of his spell. He lay in the foul-smelling muck, looking to Gwenna, her words soft and despairing. We can none of us leave. Hasn't there been something more? He couldn't recall. Gwenna remained rooted at her spot near the fire. Watching Temkin with a mixture of sorrow and dependency, she nodded to him as she looked away, as if confirming his thoughts. When Gaia's calls had led Temkin to her specifically, not the village. She was the key, but how to turn it? The two stared at one another, the first searching and the other becoming pale and insipid. Rather than affect her with a yearning to quit the bayou, to return with him and bring her enclave. Even now, Temkin would feel pulled to remain. They had no home, not really. Gwenna was correct about that. But did it have to be that way? Everything had its place in nature, hadn't it? He remembered the death of his spell, the orchid, and the sword brought. We can none of us leave. Why not? What was he missing? Gwenna thought Temkin pass up to her, standing behind and reaching around to grasp her wrists in order to control their movements. Eyes closed. She tried to follow his whispered direction, forgetting or placing aside all sensation but her reach for the land's mana. Forgoing sensation was not the difficulty, not for her. Biolivin had made such an easy task. Only the warps that touched against her bare wrists offered any amount of distraction. But she couldn't visualize the bio's life-giving side when her memories of the dank and dismal place fought against it. Even now, its rotten scent clung to them, reminding Gwen of the cold place of shadow where they had chosen to live after Argus' destruction. Temkin reached out her hand forward. There, he said, voice soft but intense. The living force of the bayou, growing trees, plants, animals, the never-ending cipher of life. It's Guy's song, as you heard it before. She didn't hear it, and if she understood his explanation, she couldn't remember ever hearing it, which could be a problem. Also, she did not fare keeping her eyes closed, shutting off her best warning of the danger that the bayou could visit on them at any time. In her mind's eye, the darkness encroached upon them, drawing tighter every time they called upon the magic of the land. I can't touch it, she said, resigned. Deeper within her mind, she also knew that she didn't want to touch it and shouldn't be trying. She wouldn't have been, except for the reserve of energy that Tempkin seemed to be able to tap into them for the both. It's not there. It is, he insisted. And you've seen it once already. It's not there for me, she said, squaring from his embrace. Still, the memory of the Orcus almost made her believe until the shadow's touch fell upon her and dimmed the memory again. Temkin's grip tightened on her wrists. It has to be, he said. Then quieter, he observed to himself. There must be a reason I was led to you first. From Gwyneth's point of view, it was she who had come to meet Temkin. I was sent, she said slowly. They grew confused, if if a dark shroud had suddenly been pulled across her mind. She saw no use in arguing the point. Frustrated and tired, she saw little use in containing the excise. Let it go, Temkin. Magic is just one more false promise.
Have you forgotten Titania? The cy cyanodruids? He spun around. Magic is part of our lives. Just as it was then. Opening her eyes, Gwenna caught the expression of concern that had taken control of Temkin's face. His eyes pleaded with her to believe, to try. Her gaze twitched away involuntarily. Searching the darkness beneath, beyond the isolated clearing and finding the bayou shadow looming over all the elves had built, damning their lives. It did not help any of us, she said listlessly. Eyes narrowing, the elf mage glanced over his shoulder, following Gwenna's own gaze into the darkness. Let it go, she whispered again, tired and imploring. No, he didn't catch, he didn't sound as certain of himself as before. His angel eyes blinked their doubts. Then his voice grew stronger. The potential exists within you, and it has to be the seeds of your release. Try again. He guided her back around, keeping hold of her right hand, and moved up beside her, stretching his own right hand out ahead of them both. He glanced at her face and frowned. You have to touch me, Gwenna. Trust did not come easily in the bayou, but Temkin's touch wore away at the despondency that blanketed their lives. The darkness rallied, forced itself in on her, but a temporary breeze through the overhead canopy rustled the leaves and branches and brought to her the faintest touch of nature's song. Gwenna seized upon it and nodded to Temkin, uncertain and apprehensive, then closed her eyes again, reaching out. This time she felt a familiar pull, as before when Temkin reached into the bayou to bring forth an orchid. He was channeling the lad's mana and allowing her to feel it course through him. Accept it, he whispered. Allow Gaia's power to work through you towards the beauty of life's never-ending cycle. Find in your memories the strength you remember from the other lands you passed through, other lands that touched you, and you touched in return. This place has similarities to those if you look. Gwenna tried, and as the darkest began to grow a subtle green, she fought for any memories that might banish the pervasiveness of the decaying bayou, that might banish the shadow, but it was not so easily dismissed. Despair rolled up under the surface of Temkin's promise, challenging the place he had won inside, Gwenna's mind. Dark energy touched her, washing over her in a stronger wave than Temkin's mirror offering. The shadow moved through her, never long enough to completely make itself known, but a presence nonetheless filled with raw power. Gloenna felt the clammy touch of death against her left hand, in her heart, mind, coursing through her veins, threatened to burst if she, she did not find some way to release it. She struggled against it, despising its basic nature, but unable to throw it off. She did not want it. She had never truly wanted it, and she would not do anything now to be rid of it. The power surged against the life force running through Temkin, overwhelming and consuming them both. It bound the two of them together, draining away strength. Gwenna opened her eyes and stared into the face of Temkin as he paled and grasped for a sudden lack of breath. The elf manager jerked away, breaking his mind to Gwenna in an effort to stave off the pain invading his own body. The dark rush of power faded. The two struggled to their knees. It hates, she said weakly, the vestigial memories of this attack and others remained with her. It needs. It will never let us go. Then the veil fell back into place, churning her thoughts to mask its own intrusion, and leaving in place the will of sorrow and loss that Gwenna had carried with her since Argos ruined. Suddenly, at a loss for words for what had just happened, she watched as Temkin struggled to his feet. 
He looked at her strangely, a mixture of pure of pity and drawing horror. I know, I know it now, he said, voice cracked and weak. Without further word or expression, he turned and walked from her into the dark embraces of the bayou. Clinging mud squelched from Timkins every step in protest of his pa passage until the peninsula of marshy ground ended abruptly, plunging into the black and fetid waters of the bayou. A light and patchy mist roiled the surface, chill and clammy, as ghostly tendrils worked their way through seams in his trousers. Lonely cries suddenly to his right, then left as a pair of mist lynxes challenged each other. A black feathered march gibbous glided by, and then soared upwards in an attempt to penetrate the thick canopy. Ten Temkin settled back in his hodges, shaking off the draining effect that had challenged through Gwena. He still felt his dark trust trailing its icy claws to the base of his spine, clutching at his heart, clouding at mind. It hates, she said. It needs. A malevolent intelligence was working through her. It was keeping her, keeping them all, he was sure, imprisoned within the bayou. Something silvered off from the waters, crossing the muddy ground behind him, and paused with its sense of body heat. Tempkin whispered to it a piece of Gaia's song, urging the viper along its way. Never once did he need to, to look and to turn and look at it. So in tune to Major's forces around him. In the same manner, the elf mage knew his adversary was not of nature and was not truly alive. A blind spot in the pre-eternal... Sorry. No. Preternatural sight gifted him with the wheeling of the land's magic. As a worker of the forest mana, Temkin had recognized in the bayou, its sources of nature's magic. He had ignored its darker aspects, a mistake that proving near fatal today. No longer. He glanced over his shoulder and found the lights of the village cook fires, a distant and dim glow between the trees and the brush. Far enough, he decided, wanting no distraction. Temkin swallowed against the taste of mildewed plastic life. Now acutely aware of the aura of death that held the bio in its grip and prepared its casting, like a case of stringy, bilious green moth blocked most of his view to the right. The living waterfall turned black and was decaying where it met the water scum surface. He focused on it, drawing mana from first the bio's living side and then from his memory of Krog's struggle, struggling young forests and the forest Tega north of Argive. He took it into himself feeling the suffusing glow of life, and turned his focus on the hanging moth. It responded immediately. New color brightened central fronds, and the spread outwards and down, rotted stringers were formed, growing thicker with new life, until the entire cascade of vegetation was once more vibrant with Gaia's energy. Against that black drop of nature, within the twisted strings of moss, Kempkin looked for Gaia to tell him the name of his adversary. The first stage of understanding of battle was the nature opponent. Shadow. Simply shadow. Timkin frowned, expecting more. Nothing could pass through the world without Guy's knowledge, without leaving behind some kind of imprint, even in unincorporeal form. Unless Guy, too, suffered a blinding to things not of nature. The thought unsettled Timkin, who believed Guy's power absolute. Magic was derived from the living of the lands. 
but was Gaia, if not the essence of all things living? Bleak despair found through his thoughts, and Gwenna's word whispered from the depths of his mind. False promises. Lies. But not Gaia's lies, the shadows. Its intrusive presence could be felt almost measured in the amount of misery welling within him. Shifting his focus, Temkin drew upon the manor already at his disposal to enshroud and protect him. A, shudline, a sublime warmth filled his veins, giving strength and clarity of thought, driving out the despair and sorrow for a moment had intruded. Timkin cast nature's energy outward, scouring it over the landscape. In its pre preternatural vision, he saw pieces of magic detach themselves from that which was living, nurturing, and strengthening. The magic also attacked that which opposed it, the disease and decay inherent in the dark side of the bayou, in the plague-ridding incense and swamp rats, and in the life-draining miasma, the shadow. It hovered there, not ten arms' length from his left shoulder. The frosty myth curled up to his cloak, what would have been feet and legs in a normal creature. Upwards from there ran the blackness. It is not a true shadow, not the absence of direct light. Instead, it was evil. Foulness and corruption somehow made incarnate here in the bayou. It turned and twisted, at this swatting out the magic, attacking it like an insect. It folded in on itself, at times almost corporeal. At other moments, merely an indiscernible piece of night broke off from the rest. Then it was gone. His senses charged. Temkin caught the wave of surprise and loathing that rolled off the shadow before it flitted away faster than mortal eyes, elven eyes or not, could follow. But there is more. Alarm. And the hint of fear being discovered. How many years had it been since anybody had looked upon it? How many lives had been consumed by this evil thing? Now it stood exposed, and it was afraid. Then it could be defeated. Temkin took heart from its panicked flight. His courage was ripped from him by the soul-reading scream that shook the bayou. This time, it did not take the shadow's influence to cast a power, plow, a pallor over the elven mage. He had acted too soon, he realized. Weak from the last attacks, his defense is only half ready. He had challenged the shadow and set it loose upon the village of Survivor. It hated. It was afraid. In nature, no beast was so terrible as when it was quartered. Another scream came, a solitary call of pain and anguish. Temkin heard no answering challenge from the elves, no waves of sorrow or anger. There's merely a despondent silence, interrupted only by the cries of its victim. The elf rose, his jaw clenched, his muscles tight. He spat against the foulness of the bio's corruption. This was no way to live, domesticated prey to some unnatural force. One way or another, he'd find a way to set these survivors free rejoin the cycle of life. Gwenna stood between huts in the open space that fronted the bayou's heart, rooted to the spot in a mixture of fear and black desolation. Sweat beaded on her forehead, and a caustic taste of bile burned at the back of her throat. The muted gray light filtered down through the breaks in the overhead canopy, dimmed as if from an early sunlight. Cooked fires burned low and went out, as if danced, where the shadow swept near. People, her paper people, lay in the muck or sprawled, their breathing shadows, their eyes vacant, as if staring into a void. 
They screamed only as the chill finally took them. Otherwise, they bore their suffering in sadness, trying not to draw attention to themselves. The elves retreated deeper within themselves in an effort to escape. Except for Gwenna, untouched. She tried to make sense of the situation, but the confusion within her mind argued against any fair effort to understand. The sickness, the madness, the chill, the shadow. How many times had it swept their small dying community? It came whenever someone brought forth the idea of moving on, of leaving. It brought madness among them, infecting others until the bayou claimed a terrible price in a night of terror. Her stomach churned. So many lives, so many of Gaia's children, waste away to nothing over the decade. How many times? Dozens, certainly. But Gwenna could remember the first night when she had decided that bayou's embrace must be endured. Hadn't they lured already? The law was set, and the challenge had only brought misfortune. One did not question the law or take action against it. What was the point? Better to succumb. succumb. Better you lived in ignorance. So she had led her enclave. Another scream tore through her mind. The shriek tapered off to a whimper. No, there was no magic, no song or savior. There's only a hand on her arm. Temkin. Where is it? He asked, voice frank and insistent. The shadow shroud blanketed her mind distorted the words to very recognizable sounds. Gwenna felt silent tears slid down her cheeks. Gone, she answered. All gone. Destroyed. His bright hazel eyes searched gloom. I know it's here. His grip on her arm grew tighter and more painful. I can't hold it in place. Can't beat it without you, Gwenna. Where's the shadow? It was there at the end of her vision, teasing her with a shape that could never quite define. It reeked of the bayou, its stagnant water and diseased animals and decay. She hook her, shook her head and swallowed. Her throat was war, raw and tasted of blood. To name it invited punishment. Better to stay quiet and hope the chill would pass her by. Well, I had no one way to get its attention. Timkin bent forward, spread its hand out, driving fingers into the moist earth. Immediately, an aura of deep green wrapped its, itself around his body. Grandma remembered he had done this before, when he raised the orchid of jade and lavender from the cursed land. Now he seemed stronger, steeped in power. This time the aura flared at once and dove into the earth to raise the orchid instantly. In a blink it grew and flowered. Its petals swayed softly in the tomb to Gaia's song. Savior song and magic. Gwyneth felt the hold over her slipped of action as darkness grew back to build strength and rally. The sweet perfume of or the orchid drowned out the bio's corrupted scent. Its colors tinted the land around her the wonderful green of a bright sun diffused by heavy forest leaves. She tried to flinch away. Better to live in ignorance. No, the song whispered. Better to live. She turned, reaching out to Temkin's support. She froze as the shadow once again revealed to her the darkness of her memories. The loss of Argoth. The trees burned. The land raised. Her people dying. But she did not see it with the detachment that time offers against all wounds. She remembered it as it were happening now. She saw it, feeling the guilt of her decisions, her actions, which had cost the Argothians everything they held dear. The guilt locked up in every joint of her bodies. Anguish froze her muscles, and despair blanketed her, her thoughts. The orchid began to wilt, its beauty fading once again. She didn't want this. She, she would do anything to be rid of it. This time, Kempkin stood ready. He reached out slowly, the tip of a finger helping 
touching hers in the simplest gesture. Warren flooded her, magic come coursing through her with energy. It was the, enough to break the hole once again, to give her the choice of action or draw, courage or despair. She looked to the wilting orchid. Its fading sight reminded her too much of the broken promises of before, and almost pulled her down it with the darkness swept in closer to claim her. She fought against it. She did not want this. She would do anything she could to kill the shadow. In the snatch of song that haunted her, echoed in her mind from long ago, when it responded to the reminder that a wilting flower was as much a cause for joy as for sadness. The cycle of life controlled everything in nature's world. Everything born of the earth returned to it eventually, and for death always came life. Gwenna reached out, as Tempkin had tried to teach her. Accepting the orchid's death as a turn of nature's wheel, from it something else will grow. She drew upon herself, soaking it in as the ground drinks fresh rainwater. She allowed it to strengthen her, to give her the resolve to meet the shadow's corrupt embrace as it moved through her and was caught. Whispering Gaia's song, Gwenna drew the, the shadow into her snail. It struggled, rallied at her with the cold touch of death. Gwenna felt its pains and fears. Just as the despair had so many times worked to sap her will and strength, so now the fear of the shadow worked against it, making it valuable. The song in her mind and in her heart grew stronger until it wrapped around them both. It lured the shadow deeper into Gaia's embrace, where it screamed inside Gwenna's mind. Timkin brought his fingers from the earth. The heavy residue had stained them black. Not the foul black of the bayou. This time it was rich, loamy color of fertile farmland. That too would fade as magic lost its hold and orchid died. But it was enough for now to remind him of the cycle and the cost that life sometimes demand. He stared at his hands, at the slowly fading orchid, at anything but the figure standing just over his shadow. He rose and turned in one fluid moment, meeting Gwenna's tortured gaze. Her eyes stared ahead, unblinking. A silent tear of blight bled blood welled at the corner of her eyes, then trailed down her cheek. The gauntness of her face had faded, drawn inward with the shadow's poising, leaving her with a touch of her youth in these final hours, perhaps her final moments. You should hurry, she said, the words softly slipping between lips that barely move. I can hold it only so long. The mage frowned, biting his lower lip as he considered. We could try to kill it, he offered, sensing even as he put the idea into words that it would not work. Gwenna blinked away a ripple of pain, her opaline eyes falling on Timken. It is already dead, she said. The magic still wrapped around him. Timken felt Gwenna's life worth draining as she used it to hold the shadow imprisoned. Piece by piece, she sold herself to counter its attempt to escape. Timken felt the struggle raging, and he had originally sensed her final decision to lure the sorrow to her and hold it fast. He had thoughts to try such a tactic himself, binding both his own life force and the primal essence of the shadow to the orchid's power, but now he doubted that would be able to succeed. Timken had not lived here for decades in the bayou, adapting to the darker side. He had never come to terms with the shadow the way he knew that Gwenna had. To hold it within himself would almost certainly have killed him. He still wondered at the shadow's origins and what exactly governed its existence now. But those were questions to which he doubted he would ever have answers. What a shadow had been or was, 
when it had known it long enough to identify its basic nature. It hated, yes, but it also needed. It needed the elves in the bayou to feed off to survive. But even if they existed outside of Gaia's brace, the shadow could still be made to obey her laws, when it intruded into nature's world. But the price. Kimpin bowed to Gwena's resolve and silently thanked her for the sacrifice she made. As if awakening from a long nightmare, Owls stumbled from their huts or rose from their lethargic positions. Some did not rise and never would again. They were part of Gaia's price, exacted so that others might live and bring life into the world again. Most were crying. The pain on their faces was the first real sign of animation Temkin had seen. Assemble quickly, he said, voice with emotion. We must leave the bayou. A few thoughts to move toward Gwena's hands reaching out for sympathy. But Temkin stepped in front of her. Go, he commanded. Gaia will watch over her. They grabbed what few traveling articles they could find in moments. Temkin turned back and saw that Gwena was nearly lost to him. Her green eyes dimmed as she turned her energies to the inward battle. This day, he said softly, willing her to hear. You have resolved yourself of any blame I might still have for you, Gwena. There's no greater gift than life. He gently took her by his shoulders and eased back to the ground near his orchid. Her face and the flower both recovered a spot of color before they began to fade again, this time more slowly. Let the orchid sustain you for as long as possible, and Gaia will bring you to her before it can hurt you again, Temkin said. Before he could think of it, the better of it, he spoke the name he had denied his lips for too long. Our goth will rise again, he promised Grena. We will rebuild. In a grey-lit clearing, completing a rough circle of dark and abandoned huts, Gwena sat upon the water-laden ground, with her back to the heart of the bayou. An icy rain began to sprinkle down, spreading against a pool of water and slowly churning the ground. The orchid's lavender pistols dripped into the water, dripped water into the flower's cup, and petals sagged with extra weight. The regular rhythm of its wash played accompaniment to the gusting wind that rubbed branches together and sawed at the long grasses. The rain carried with it the hint of brine born in the from-not-too-distant ocean. It was a clean scent. Gwena continued to hum Gaia's song. In her mind, the shadow grew stronger as it warred with the nature's memory, her memory of Argoth. The elves had left. Animals died. Forests were stripped away. The land itself stuck from sight rolled over by oil-slicked water. The air grew cool and tasted stale, but even as a shadow finally slipped away, extruding rage in its newfound strength and ready to feed upon her remaining life, the lad rose once again within her mind. Plant and animal returned as memory flourished. Argros rose with the last of her strength. Gwen allowed herself to slip away into the memory, carried on Gaia's song and her province that life would always follow. Thanks for listening to the story. Um, it is A Song Out of Darkness by Lionel Warren L. Coleman. And thanks for listening, and we'll be back for another story. Thank you.